right, hop day everyone. Welcome to Fanatsu. <laughs> yeah. So we have a very special guest today, Ray Shinohara. Um, so I interviewed you, well first of all, uh, you guys might have noticed that, well we're Skeleton Crew today, um, but that doesn't mean that our commitment to you has waned at all. Uh, in fact, um, if you notice, we're, we're shooting from Switcher today, which is why we can do these uh, fancy uh, images and stuff. And we have a sweet uh, lower thirds overlay. And that's all made possible by our patrons. Um, as a patron of Fanatsu, you get exclusive content, you get radical history, uh, radical readings. Um, and it's all for as little as 10 bucks a month. So we have three tiers, uh, different programs. Um, Highest tier, fifteen dollars. Uh, you get everything, as well as um, an invitation to the exclusive chat that we have going on. And uh, yeah, you can sign up at Patreon.com/Fanatsu. And with that, we'll go ahead and, and get started. Uh, Ray, won't you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Off day, everybody. I'm Ray Shinohara. I'm a former Marine and a, a huge veteran advocate here on the island of Guam. Um, we, uh, so I'm the founder of Green Valor. Uh, it's a veteran or a community-based or uh, veteran organizations made up of uh, veterans and uh, individuals from the community, and we want to address uh, issues that we have on the island. Um, key issues that we have, we've been addressing is homelessness, veteran strugglings, struggling with PTSD, suicidal ideations, mental health stuff, and then we also, uh, you know, help them with uh, understanding their benefits and. Mm -hmm. uh, everything like that especially when veterans that are trying to transition to go to school and try to um, give them the kind of uh, direction and guidance to being successful as a student transitioning from a veteran or from the military now what about um what about your your background in in the military you were a former marine yeah yeah so, so. uh so former marine um started as a, a regular infantry guy and um in the marines we have specialties that went down all the specialties in uh, in the in, in the Marine Corps in the Marine Infantry, and uh, you know, landed myself a bunch of deployments because I just diversified myself. So I got to you know be a part of eight deployments in the eleven years that I was in. Wow, sweet. Yeah. And um, if I overheard correctly, you were also stationed in Okinawa as well. Yeah, I was stationed in Okinawa as a sweet. jungle warfare instructor. Nice yeah. man. That's um, I guess you know trying to build like a connection you know between yeah. our experiences right i mean that okinawa was a very special place for me as well yeah um i was there for two years as a dependent uh, my dad was a contractor there so yeah what what would you how would you describe your your time in okinawa my time in okinawa was probably you know like i was uh talking about it before it was a little bit like the lord of the flies mm -hmm. it was a bunch of guys that just were like backpacking in, in in Okinawa trying to survive off the land which is which is awesome but at the same time uh, like there was no structure happening and everything and when I was in the Marines um, the guys before me my senior Marines they would always talk about this is the best training uh, in the world but you never want to do it twice uh -huh. and I was like okay and then when I went through it you know like Lord of the Flies big camping trip I was like this is not the uh, the kind of um, you know, training that I wanted to. So I try to create and facilitate that um, idea that my senior Marines came up with. So I started uh, learning more, studying um, about the, the doctrine that was out there and found myself an underground bunker with a mm -hmm. bunch of old 
uh, we call them flip charts, but you know, everything we do now is digital and on PowerPoint, but before it used to be on a huge turn chart to, so you have the instructions on a huge piece of paper, you just flip it. Yeah. And that's how I wanted to teach it. So I ended up becoming the, the chief jungle warfare instructor out there. And it was an amazing experience. I got to bring a lot of uh, uh, the stuff that I learned um, from my parents and my family, like from the ranch, uh, to, to the table and I, I felt like when it came to cooking or survival or making fire or, or just surviving in a jungle because mm-hmm. Guam has a bunch of jungle and I used to run around it as a kid yeah. I wanted to bring that to the table and I think that's what made me a little more successful than any of uh, my predecessors uh, now you know as um, so you joined as an enlistee and enlisted yeah okay um, how does one get from being an enlisted uh, marine to um, a chief jungle warfare uh, instructor hey, okay <laughs> so that was that, that was interesting um, yeah. since I was uh, since I first started uh, the Marine Corps it, 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 it was a little bit of a struggle uh, I'm that that guy from Guam or Guam yeah, or yeah. whatever you know <laughs> the typical stuff that you know um, people from the United States that have no idea about Guam would say um, I had to deal with that and um, I didn't like not being in charge like before that I was you know I was a, a you know on the national wrestling team here on Guam and I was the one of the um, the team captain so I always had leadership positions and I always like strive to, to mm-hmm. always get that um, and even in my career like I said I, I pretty much got every specialty under my belt and I wanted that as well and that's what led me to um, to go to uh, Jungle Warfare Training Center in Okinawa, and it's also allowed me to become the Chief Warfare uh, Jungle Warfare Instructor by uh, you know doing my due diligence and understanding the material and the doctrine, but at at the same time always wanting more. There's mm-hmm. always room for self improvement, and that's what I try to strive for. Interesting, man. So let's see. Um, when I, because I mean, I know you peripherally through a lot of our, our associations, right? Mm-hmm. Through through like people like Jesse Chargaloff yeah, yeah. and whatnot, and obviously um, you you've come out in in public support of independence. Yeah. I'm wondering um, when was it that you um, took a hard look at at your own experiences as a as a person from Guam, our political status, mm-hmm. and maybe even your time in the military. When did you start to look back at those things with a, a more critical lens? So when I first moved back here, um, I started going to school. I heard about the whole pleplicite and the decolonization. I want to be a part of it. Um, so I, I'd attend a lot of the, the things in the lecture hall. <laughs> and uh, at the time, I was really big about you know statehood. Like, why not integrate? Uh, because we've we've served the country. Like this is this is progression for us. So why go backwards? And I, I definitely felt like there was a, a, a inner struggle within me because like I, I do believe in our culture our society uh, the ways of like I remember going you know to any party and they would always welcome you in because yeah. that's just our family values that we have and I, I wanted I wanted more of that and um, sitting through a lot of the the, the tomorrow classes the culture the radical culture classes that we've ha- that I've taken here at the university, I've just, I, I feel like I've been a little more enlightened. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> through my time in the military, we always talk about freedom. Like, what are you here for? I'm here okay. to fight for freedom. And, um, you know, in self-reflection, and this has probably happened within the last year, um, I've really got to really think about that. And to me, freedom is fighting for independence. Um, you know, it, it's, it, it's in the Declaration of Independence that we have in the United States. Uh, you know your pursuit of happiness. Why can't we have that? Mm. You know we have to fight and uh, stand for what we believe in, 
And uh, I believe that um, we should be independent. Sweet, man. Um, are these conversations that you've maybe had with other veterans? Or yeah, it's definitely some. Con- we we've had these conversations with other veterans. Um, it's interesting because a lot of them um, do feel like they have an inner struggle with them. Like um, they 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 would talk about you know independence and you know and, and and freedom and all this other stuff, but then they always fall back to what they know more from being in the institution of the United States military. Um, and and it, it's a struggle because uh, a lot of people feel like. Um, they they're they're patriots. Like I'm a patriot of the United States, but at the same time, I'm still a Chamorro man. Mm. And uh, we have these uh, intersecting personalities, cultures, and and belief systems that we, we can't not acknowledge. So at the same time, like I am a patriot of the United States, but I'm a Chamorro man who wants independence for 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 our community. Um, and that's that's definitely a struggle you you have to live in uh, live with. But you also have to blend it in, yeah, um, and make it work for you, like. We're, we're changing as a society. We, we, if right. we go backwards or we go f- too far forward, we, we could o- always um, have that struggle. And by understanding what we're going through and and what it means to be either you know fall fall under whatever category of political status, like people should just be a little more educated on what's going on. Right. Absolutely. Now, what's interesting to me is um, there are a few veterans in my family as well, and um, you know when. I was first, you know, becoming more involved with Independent Guahan, uh, they would recognize, you know, my face on like Fanatsu and some mm-hmm. of the things that we were doing, right? And they would they would have these conversations with me about uh, supporting independence, but being uh, hesitant about um, being so open about it, mm-hmm. um, especially if they're still active, right? Right. Um, but what struck me is that a lot of them feel the disparity or like the inequality while they're in the military and I'm wondering if uh, you had any of those experiences as well you know yeah I, I, I totally did um, especially with my last name it, it, being Japanese you know um, before Iraq and Afghanistan happened any, most people just reference Vietnam or World War II so um, I would always get uh, derogatory name calling of of something associated with uh, the Asian descent, you know, yeah. and it, it's definitely something I've I've had to to live with in the military uh, in the eleven years that I was in, all the way up to the end. I still had to deal with it, but it, it it's that fine fine blend of, of just being tolerant. Um, you know, everybody has a voice, and you know, however they express it, like I have to respect it. But at the same time, you know, I I do um, ask that in return to respect me but I'm a little more tolerant than most people, but at the same time, I probably give it back too. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but it, it, it's a, a ability to, to kind of live your own path. Like I'm not gonna be fully offended because someone called me a derogatory name. Maybe they just don't understand. And you know, mm-hmm. you know from the little comments of, you must be from Guam, Guam or Guatemala or something like, no, I'm from Guam <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I'm Chamorro. <laughs> like, you know, uh, there, I know there's no box you, when you're doing all those forms like, Chamorro, but there's mm-hmm. Pacific Islander or Hawaiian or whatever, and I yeah. have to check check that so everybody thinks I'm Hawaiian or something. But no, I'm Chamorro, and I definitely you know uh, share share that knowledge with other people, and yeah. you know it's always brought back to you know people who sat down with me in the military who have no concept or idea of Guam. Yeah, hearing the stories that I have of growing up here, running around the jungles, the the beautiful beaches that we have, and everything. 
now all of a sudden they wanted to come and visit this place and be a part of what I was a part of growing mm -hmm. up here and what led me to become the person I was or I yeah. am. You know, as you were talking, I was, I, for some reason, I just flashed back to a moment where I was coming back from France and uh, the, the flight attendant, it was a, it was a dude, and uh, he was like, you're Filipino. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm from Guam. And he's like, but you're close to the Philippines. And I was like, yeah, I guess. Can I, yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I have my boarding pass back now? And yeah, yeah, so that's interesting, man. Um, oh, man. Uh, what about, you know, thinking about back about your time in Okinawa? Obviously, there, there are a lot of uh, protests out there. Yeah. Um, and did, did you ever encounter any of those? Um, were you there during any of the, the base closures? Uh, not the not the base closures, but my base that I was at was in the, the furthest base up north called NTA. Some people know know it as Camp Gonzalez. Uh, for the people that work there, it's JWTC, it's Jungle Warfare Training Center. Mm -hmm. um, we always have protesters out there, and uh, they're they're on every gate, every post that we have, and they're actually really nice people sometimes. They you know they'll wave at you and yeah. everything, but then you go behind the gate, and then all of a sudden you're you know yeah, we're yeah. working against yeah. each other. But you know, I, I definitely understand the you know why they would be protesting. In some cases, some of them were hired to just be there, so they they didn't have anybody not be there. But we also have Lipita go out. Like like I said, you know, as a jungle warfare instructor, like we had to teach people how to survive. It's also in procurement of food and meats. Yeah. Um, so we had to deal with uh, you know slaughtering and and uh, and field dressing a bunch of uh, animals, and uh, it was interesting. At the same time, like. You know, I have a job to do, and at the same time, like it, you know, it could be classified as, you know, some sort of classification where we can't just confidential or we can't just share it with anybody, um, especially the work that we do. But at the same time, like we we don't want to to put a negative image uh, mm -hmm. towards what we're doing out there because at the end of the day, we're we're strategically placed there to to train um, service members because I didn't just train Marines um, to survive out in the jungle, and there really isn't. Um, at the time, a facility that could uh, accommodate that. I see, I see. Now, I guess shifting gears, um, sorry, so how long have you been back on Guam now? So I've been back here on Guam for a little bit over four years now. Four years, yeah. and Green Valor started up around the same time as yeah. that? Or? Yeah. Uh, so like, what, what's some of the work that you've been able to, to carry out in the community? So, <clears throat> starting back from the beginning, it actually started out as, um, as, as me, um, going out into the community. I, at the time, I was working for uh, the Guam Soil and Water Conservation District, okay. and they hired me to get more veterans into the farming community. So we created this farming program, and in the first uh, class that we had, we had over we had over eighty students come, and half of them were veterans. Um, and then sitting through uh, a lot of the classes and hearing a lot of the the uh, the issues that are affecting the veteran community because you know you, you have a bunch of veterans together they're, they're going to come and and talk to each other and you know voice their opinions on some issues or struggles that they have and I started absorbing all of these and you know I'm kind of an action guy like I want to address like certain things so um, I, I took it upon myself to create Green Valor and, and mm -hmm. create that and <clears throat> but always falling back to why we started this it started as a farming program so we started building like uh, disabled, we help disabled uh, veterans um, create gardens. So we made disabled gardens for veterans uh, based on their specific disability. So if they were on wheelchairs, we made sure that it was safe for them to access it with a wheelchair. Or if they, you know, they had mobility issues, like they were missing a leg or something, yeah. we could try to help them in, or 
kind of help facilitate them to to be successful in gardening based off their disability. Mm. Uh, other than that, it, it's uh, we you know I heard some stuff that there was uh, veterans living on the street, and I was like, yeah. well, we shouldn't be having this, considering that you know um, Congress passed into law uh, that there shouldn't be any more uh, homeless, homeless veterans. Yeah. So um, uh, there were supposed to be programs that were Im- Im- implemented uh, that would would help veterans, you know out of that particular struggle and I'm still finding out there's veterans living on the street. So right. I started going out looking for them, found out they were living in the jungles or in the caves or in the mountains or something. And me and a bunch of other, you know, like-minded veterans, we would go hike out there, bring them food and, and talk to them and let them know that there's resources out here. We, you know, there is help for them. And uh, it, it was really successful. We, mm-hmm. we, we, we found a lot of um, individuals that may not have recognized or identified themselves as veterans until we actually talked to them. Okay. Um, so it was, it was a very interesting experience. Um, but we go out there and we help uh, homeless uh, veterans. We do a lot of uh, um, outreach and awareness, when, especially when it comes to mental health issues like yeah. post-traumatic stress disorder, um, um, suicidal ideations. You know, especially when it comes to that, we always have... Um, you know, the uncle in the back of the, the fiestas or the parties, they like, don't piss him off, you know. PTSD. You know, he, he, he's, yeah. he's crazy or he has shell shock or he has PTSD, depending on, you know, whatever war they went to. Mm. Um, and I wanted to address that. Um, so I would go out and, and find these uncles who are, who are kind of, you know, dealing with some stuff and people are like, he's, you know, he's kind of crazy. Crazy is definitely not the term we, we should be using. We should be more empathetic and, and showing them compassion that right. hey you know what I understand you're going through some stuff and I just want to listen to you and I, I think that's all we, we need to really do for you know our veterans that are struggling with PTSD is is, is allowing them the time and the platform to share. speak their mind and share I, see. I mean how would how would you describe the state of affairs of like um, so Guam has a CBOC, right? Mm-hmm. It has its own clinic, um, and I think like the last time I was covering veterans' issues a couple years ago, like they extended their services to um, the the satellite clinics mm-hmm. uh, in the south and in Dedido. Um, but how would you describe um, the state of affairs with with that? And as far as funding goes yeah, yeah. and outreach, well, I've, I've definitely been working on the, the policy side of it lately. Um, and, and there is a huge disparity when it comes to the, the support the federal government's giving us. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll give you statistics. Everybody knows that we have the highest enlistment rate um, per capita in the United States and all that stuff. But we have a clinic, you know, mm-hmm. a clinic that can only serve you with, with immunization and a, a doctor to tell you to go to another doctor. Yeah, pretty yeah. Pretty much for referral. Uh, we do have programs that are that are in place to kind of help mitigate those issues, like the Choice Program. So you can see any doctor, the VA will pay for it, uh, depending on your your service connection. But um, I don't think we have the appropriate resources for the individuals that that are living here on Guam, and that 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 could be attributed to a bunch of things. Um, one of them is you know veterans aren't registering here on Guam. So if you're watching this, you're a veteran or you know a veteran, uh, go to Aston VA and register. Uh, it definitely helps out regardless if you think you rate anything we we need to count here on guam yeah. uh and that's one of the biggest contributing factors why we don't get the support is we don't have an actual number here okay so statistically i think there was um uh three thousand um, veterans that are actually utilizing the services of the clinic so those are veterans that are utilizing medical services so that is the only thing you know the, the higher echelon of the VA can yeah. see is there's only 3,000 so do we really need a hospital can we justify a hospital with 3,000 
sure, you, you probably could, but you know, if we had the biggest, you know, bigger numbers, because you know, uh, we do a lot of these these registrations. A lot of uh, uh, groups and individuals have taken yeah. out their time um, to to address this and have done their own community uh, sourcing of uh, of of the registry mm-hmm. of how many veterans are here on Guam. And we've got all the way up to like 20,000. 20,000 is a lot of individuals to serve. Not all of them may use the services that are here, but it also could be attributed because they don't know the services that are here on Guam for them. They don't understand or know um, that there are services that they can utilize. A lot of um, individuals that I meet uh, sometimes have service connection um, injuries and they could definitely get help at the CBOC or uh, through any of the VA um, benefit programs, but they don't. They pay it out of pocket because they hear about these crazy stories of waiting in line forever yeah. and uh, having bad service or them not being accommodated with their with uh, their injury that they have to go pay it out of pocket. I think that's a huge disparity because you know we should be taking, the federal government should be taking care of us, especially mm-hmm. if you receive services I mean, if you received injury from your service, yeah. your time in the military. Interesting. And what about, like, on a national level? I mean, the issues with, like, um, veterans' hospitals and mm-hmm. clinics and outreach, that's not uh, a problem that's unique to Guam. It's something mm-hmm. that um, is shared throughout the United States, mm-hmm. right? I mean, like, do you get the sense that um, maybe on the part of like the federal government that their care for veterans is sort of disingenuine or I, I think it you know honestly it, it, it's you know it's a hit or miss like I've been all over, like I've I've utilized services in the VA in the East Coast and the West Coast yeah in Hawaii and here on Guam and um, a lot of times it's it's just being able to negotiate the system and know where to go because you could sit in one line and be wasting your time the whole time. But if you have a community and a network of veterans that understand the system, that like for example, when I was in in Oregon and I was trying to get services, I could have waited in you know walked into the hospital, waited in the huge line um, just to to talk about like me having really bad issues with my PTSD. I couldn't control myself. Um, I was I was dealing a lot with depression and everything and uh, I was about to stand in this line and people were like yeah average times four hours I'm like I don't have four hours like four hours I'd probably hurt somebody in here or hurt myself like I don't have that kind of time and I just so happened to run into another marine who was just you know because I had my my bracelet he saw that he was like hey man how's it going I noticed your bracelet how are you doing Mm -hmm. you know he took out his time to show me compassion and 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 help me out and he was just like this is not the place you need to go to you need to go to the OIF OEF department and they could actually get you in quicker uh to get help and I literally it took me 30 minutes uh to get the services that I needed to talk to the right people rather than sitting in line and having to do it by myself and uh, you know th- these are resources and small little tricks of um, of the system that I want to share with other people. There's tricks that are here um, here on Guam, but a lot of people they're they're so fast to to complain about the system. I really believe the system that that the VA as a whole works. It's just understanding how it works to better mm-hmm. benefit the the individual. Um, a lot of individuals that you know are suffering from mental health conditions and stuff. They don't need to wait in that. In that line, there's other services that you could go to, and other avenues you could you could go and approach, and it'll, it'll probably be a, a faster turnaround if mm-hmm. uh, they utilize that. I see. So I mean, we're talking about like I, I get the sense that you know 
there are inevitably going to be failings of of a larger structure, mm-hmm. right? And it's upon it's it's up to us essentially to look out for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and like you said, like just having those conversations with veterans, um, giving them time to process what they went through, right. and then being able to share that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. um, how like I don't know. I mean, if we're thinking about like ideas of masculinity and there's always like this idea that you know you can't really talk about your experiences mm-hmm. or you can't cry or you can't like how would how would people go about that like opening up the space yeah. for for dialogue you know that, that's one of the hardest things that um i've had to deal with in 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 my advocacy is 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 dealing with individuals that have so much pride that they don't want to expose themselves or, or show um any degradation of their masculinity yeah and, you know, I come from an, uh, an interesting background, you know, um, but at the end of the day, I'm willing to, to, to take it off and put it to the side and I need, you know, my self-care. I need to take care of myself before I could take care of anybody else, especially in my work that I have in, in addressing, you know, any veteran issues. I have to right. be able to take care of myself. And, you know, I always tell people like, you know, you need to take care of yourself, you know, let me help you understand what, what's, what's going on with you and connect you to the right resource. Uh, that can help you, whether it's the VA stuff or any local nonprofit um, agencies that that deal with particular um, conditions or issues. And you know, by by me sitting down with them, and I call it the kneecap to kneecap. It's not it's not my term or anything like that. But yeah. me me sitting right next to you and, and me pouring my heart out to you, and, yeah. or you pouring your heart out to me and telling me what's going on, what what, what are you struggling with? It it, it allows them to open up. Uh, just a little and then all that's all that's all you need hey man I understand what you're going through now there's you know the vet center here at the it's not the reflections at FH, near FHP I think uh, but it's a counseling service that they have at the VA and you know they have um, uh, counselors and psychologists and psychiatrists throughout the VA that could definitely yeah. help them out and they may not have noted um, known them or they may have heard horror stories about them but at the end of the day like you know, with the best intentions, everybody at the VA is trying to help veterans. They just have a huge load to deal with, especially with 3,000, you know, veterans that are going through with the short and short yeah. and underfunded staff. Huh. So it, it, it is a struggle for the providers as well. But I think if, if the federal government, you know, invests a little more uh, energy and, and money into the services here on Guam, I think we could be in a better state uh, with the certain community. I don't know. I, I see that for sure. Yeah. Um, I just feel like, um, you know, we're always going to be, well, you know, as, in, as t- in terms of like size and stuff, you know, like there's only 160,000 people out here, right? I mean, like, how do we make the case for like more funding? Um, mm-hmm. You know, when when we're compared to like larger populations like Hawaii, yeah. which I think we're we're an arm of the Hawaii office, right? The Pacific yeah. office. Yeah. So even even when we, we we start talking about that, it's interesting because you know I just found out that Kauai has a yeah. hospital, um, uh, and and that's interesting because they're 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 a small island too. Why 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 did they get justified? To, yeah to have um, a hospital there when, you know, they have the VA hospital right next to Tripler mm. in Oahu. So why can't we get a hospital? You know, a lot of these individuals that have to go to Hawaii to seek services, especially for, um, you know, either medication, surgeries or whatever, yeah. they have to fly all the way to Hawaii. A lot of these, you know, conditions that uh, the service members have, especially if they have, for example, TBI, traumatic brain injury, 
all that pressure that you have, especially when you start climbing in, in, in the airplane, it starts wearing you down. You yeah. start really feeling it. And that could be, you know, the same with any other injury that they have. All that compression and pressure that you have uh, on the plane, like, that's hurting the individual. Why put them through that when we could, you know, have them come out here and, yeah. and give them service or medical attention? Hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, I don't know, man. Well, I Do guess we could, with the, with the new, you know, delegate that we have, we could, hey, you yeah. know, <laughs> hey, if you're watching this, like, yeah. <laughs> you have the ability to say something, so say something. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. Did you read an Underwood's piece uh, that he put out? Yeah. Um, Potomac Fever. Potomac Fever. Yes. Potomac Fever, yeah. Um, it was very interesting. I, I feel like he was obviously making a, a couple jabs at uh, at MSN, right? <laughs> um, anybody, just because you... Yeah. When you, uh, when you head out into, you know, your new office, and you first, you the, the massive, the immensity of it is overwhelms you and you feel like, I'm somebody. Yeah. I can do something. And then once you realize... And then you remember you represent a territory. Yeah. And people don't answer your phone calls. People don't give you any respect. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but that is, I, I'm glad that, uh, that you brought that up because mm-hmm. that, although the delegate is powerless in so many ways, if the delegate is, is, uh, is hardworking and persistent, they yeah. can get uh, movement on veterans issues. Hardworking, persistent. Yeah, <laughs> uh, kind of cut it. Cause most likely, uh, MSN will be on some subcommittee in the, in the military portion of Congress. Yeah. Um, and so he'll have some ability because the, in terms of the bureaucracy, you got to just remind them that they, can, that they can either treat Wong like shit or they can treat Wong better. Hmm. And if you remind them, sometimes they say, oh, you're right. We don't want to be assholes. Sometimes you remind them and they say, we don't care. Yeah. But you got to, that's your part. you got to remind them as the delegate. That's yeah. kind of your role. I so see. We'll see. Yeah. Have you, uh, have you or other veterans groups made contact with the, the new delegate? Or? No, we haven't yet. Mm-hmm. But we'd like to sit down with them and, and talk about like veteran issues. We definitely sat down uh, recently. We, we tried to do a policy analysis. Or we did do a policy analysis, but it was more of a... Um, of a consultation, we wanted to bring uh, the community in and people that would be invested into it, so it'd be a collective. Um, but his office wasn't uh, available. Obviously, they're doing the transition, but it yeah, it would be worth uh, sitting down with them and letting them know the findings that we found. Absolutely. Hey, so we're coming up on time, um, and I wanted to. I guess we'll ask a couple questions, and sure. then uh, we'll get to. It seems like. Uh, we're going to switch gears and talk about cockfighting. Is that what's going on in the chat? We can do that. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. So I, I just, um, you know, obviously we, we've talked about, like, there's a disconnect between um, uh, federal support for veterans on Guam. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that extends to a lot of other issues as well. Yeah. Uh, not unique to uh, veterans' rights. I mean, if you look at uh, the hospital, for instance, um, GMH, I mean, mm-hmm. um, uh, Department of Education, um, there's there's obviously a disconnect between um, you know what what happens in Washington D.C. and the outcome all the way out here in the Marianas, right? So where um, where's the intersection for you between um, your advocacy, your ongoing advocacy for veterans' rights and independence? So um, it, that that's interesting um, because when it comes to the advocacy of veterans, I can still do it. it yeah, it's it's it, 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 it's. 
it's what we've been fighting for. It's what's right. It's what's entitled to us in, in some cases. And, you know, it's definitely a fight worth fighting. At the same time, uh, when it comes for, for independence, um, you know, it, it's not like I'm going to lose any of these rights or privileges yeah. as, as, as a veteran that served the country, that's service-connected and everything. But um, at the same time, to enlighten individuals of what we have been fighting for mm -hmm. uh, when we were in the service and wore that uniform. Um, you know, not everybody is going to believe in, in that in that cause, but at the end of the day, it's it's educating yourself and you know which direction you want to go to when it comes to the political status. I see. Great, man. Thank you. Yeah. And so, what what's going on in the chat? Uh, so, are we talking about um, Godzilla? Oh, awesome. <laughs> so yeah, hold on. Let me. We got one question. So, uh -huh. do you find so now? Are you aware of Chamorros in this diaspora in the States? Are they organizing mm -hmm. on their own issues as well? Because somebody had a question, because her dad is a, is a Vietnam vet. Mm -hmm. And um, are, there, are there, so, but they live in California. Sure. And so, do, do you know of any vets groups for Chamorros in the States? Um, vet groups um, that are specifically Chamorro, um, I know there's, from, just from my experience, I know there's the, the once a Marine, always a Marine. So if he was a Marine, then maybe they could go there. But when it comes to veteran issues, go into any, um, uh, you know, v veteran organization, they would help him regardless of his, his race or ethnic identity, um, especially when it comes to, you know, health care or uh, any of their benefits or rights as a veteran. Um, if they're struggling, especially in the Vietnam era, if he's struggling with anything, I'd suggest everybody uh, to go to the national agency called the, the DAV, the Disabled American Veterans, and they do a lot of great work in, in representing veterans with uh, any issues. And so, next, okay, so the next question is, what are your thoughts on the cockfighting man? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and especially this, this makes sense in, in light of you talking about a, how in your jungle warfare training uh -huh. you were on PETA's shit list? Yeah, <laughs> and so uh... wait, don't they don't they pump up the, the the roosters with drugs and stuff? Exactly, right? yeah. So, like, what can I do with it? Can I eat it still? Like it, like jacked? Uh, you know, in all honesty, like um, the 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 cop fighting issue, like I I don't have any qualms for it or against mm. it. Like it, it's a thing, I guess. I've I've went to one, like okay, to be honest, but uh. I don't know. Like, should I go there to get more information? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's sort of disingenuous. I mean, if you're really concerned about, um, like, the the health and safety of chickens, then you know we should obviously be shutting down like Tyson Farms and, uh, <laughs> you know, like what all those chickens that don't make it into yeah. the the boiler and like don't die instantly. Yeah. Like, come on. Or no yeah. drugs, and then we eat all of the chickens as a fiesta afterwards. Yeah, like that'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, so I think part of the question is, is um, because this this kind of gets snuck into a larger farm bill, mm -hmm. right? The cockfighting bill, right. and the, I believe that all of the territorial reps are against it, but then of course they don't get to vote on it. Yeah. They don't have a say in it, and so um, it's not a done deal yet, right? Because Trump may not sign it, but he mm. probably will sign it. Yeah, and so um, but so thinking about it. Uh, is this an example of sort of federal overreach? Is this an example of where um, you know territories should be able to speak with a louder voice, mm -hmm. and that the federal government shouldn't just be able to come in and, and tell them what's what? And uh, 
Yeah, so your, your thoughts on that, because it's interesting because, um, and just for me, what I find nice about your perspective is that you connect your service to the status, right? Mm -hmm. So for many vets, it seems like they serve and then they think they can't talk about status. Mm -hmm. they, I, gotta, I couldn't say anything when I was in the service and I don't wanna say anything now. But what I like is that like when some vets, they've realized that I served, so therefore, like the place where I come from should be taken seriously. Yeah. Like we shouldn't, you know, so I put up with shit for, for you for 11 years, you know, I did all this <laughs> stuff. And then when I come back, because some, some vets, you know, that came from Vietnam, you know, they had that experience. They felt like I'm going and I'm fighting for the United States mm -hmm. over there, but I, we don't get to vote for president back there. What the hell is up with that? Mm -hmm. yeah. And they make that disconnect. And so do you see any sort of any connection there? So with what, with what I've been reading on the news and stuff about it, not, I don't really follow the cockfight things a lot, but um, I, I do feel like, you know, it's the federal government taking a little bit of us away from us. Hmm. Um, you know, when it, and that could, I guess, be related to like the culture that we have. You know, a lot of people are thinking our cultural identity is being taken away uh, because of the federal influence or what they want to oppose on us. And um, is it worth fighting for? Yeah, I'd stand behind, you know, yeah. protecting that, that cultural right to to, you know, go out to the huge domes and go play with some chickens. <laughs> but in all honesty, like, I'm not into cockfighting. Yeah. But if yeah. anybody's watching this and wants to take me out, like, sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, this is, we shouldn't let this slide. I mean, first they come for your cocks, and then it's, the, then it's your pupa. Like, what's next? You know, I had to, I had to. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Well, we have pupa now, right? We do have pupa, good, yes. So. You know, yeah. No, there there is a, there is movements in the states to actually ban or to to make pugua an illicit substance. Yeah. What? I don't know if you guys have heard about that. Yeah. Apparently, like there there's kids in like the Midwest who like just found out about beetle nut, and like so they've been importing the shit from like um and getting it from Asian uh, Asian food stores, and uh, they'll get high off of it or you know as high as you can get off of pugua, right? Uh huh. And they'll, they'll they'll bring it to school and all that stuff, and it gets um. Oh. You know, it gets suspended and yeah so very interesting wow so Maybe the more you know again. <laughs> yeah <laughs> i burnt my tongue the last time <laughs> never again yeah thanks dad yeah <laughs> hey but yeah i mean anything else from the chat or mm. mm -hmm. nope nope that's it all right well i want to thank you for your time man yeah see this and then of course uh, we're gonna take care of the exclusive content now uh, if you want, please uh, join us on patreon.com slash fanatsu. Uh, you guys know the deal. And again, thank you to uh, Rei Shinohara. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Oh, nah.
Yeah.